nothing to bring but all of my heart how could this be though he looks in my eyes all broken and crimson he sees only and I can't do Serve what he's done. He just loves me because he loves me because he loves me just because he does. Tired and afraid, forgotten what's paid. So I'll hide in my shame like an orphan I ran from my promise, but it's never enough. Cause my walls and my mountains always went out of love. And I can't do anything to deserve what he's done. Just loves me cause he loves me cause he loves me just because he does I'm his beloved I am his friend His love has no limit from beginning to end No is based on you and your goodness and not our performance. I pray whatever lie we're holding on to that keeps us from resting with you, that we lay down at your feet and we just give it up. 
We thank you that you're big and that you're strong. We love you so much. Amen. That means through the ministry of Journey North Church, we are up to 358 people have been baptized in our um, short history. So it's very exciting. Um, we're back inside. We're back on track for our summer road trip. And I'm going to make, uh, we're going to make a very important stop. Um, two words. When you hear these words, you will be suspicious. Whenever we hear these words, we're suspicious. Unlimited and unconditional. When someone guarantees something is unlimited, we usually assume there's a catch. And about you, I keep getting these calls on extending my car's warranty. And, and I don't know why they don't take me seriously when I say, is that good on my Suburban that has 315,000 miles on it and is completely falling apart and they hang up. I just don't understand it. Evidently, unlimited and unconditional does not mean that. Um, in many sense, we assume there's a catch. Here's the thing. Some of you may be having a similar dialogue with God. Unconditional love? Really? Unlimited forgiveness? Have you checked my record? You know? Here's where this stop on a road trip puts us in the story, in the timeline. Passover was just days away. Passover was a time when the nation of Israel remembered their ancestors' deliverance from Egypt. They'd been in Egypt for 400 years, and God, you know, through Moses, miraculously delivered them. Um, but as they did this every year, this remembrance was bittersweet, especially for them during this current time that we're looking at, because the fact is they weren't really free. They were still under occupation. This time it was Roman occupation. But despite this, 
the Jews just flocked to Jerusalem for this festival. Uh, the city swelled to many times its normal size. The city was the place to be. Thousands of people made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem streets. In John eleven fifty seven, it says this, but, but the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who, was found out, who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Now, I'm going to say, we are commanded in Scripture to obey those in authority most of the time. There are times, however, when we report to a higher authority. We obey God over man. This was one of those times, but things are starting to come to a head in, in our story here. Mark 14 records, uh, verse 2 records this detail. They wanted to arrest him and said, but not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. That's what they were most concerned with, is the, what the people thought. So um, moving on in our story, John 12, starting in verse 12, it says, the next day. So the timeline is progressing. The next day, the Jewish leaders are only five days away from Passover. They had spies on the lookout for Jesus, while Jesus had fans eagerly awaiting his arrival. So the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, remember the city is just swelling with people, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches. They went out to meet him. They lined the streets and they shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. Save us now. But then, and that's big, but then it escalates. Because then they, they shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. See, the people here shouting this, they were invoking the authority of God when they used the phrase in the name. This was a big deal. And they declared him king, whether they define that as political king or messianic king, you know, we don't know for sure. But either way, they assumed Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to do something for the nation. That's what they assumed. But in fact, he was coming to do something for you and for the world. Jesus would fulfill God's promise to Abraham, and he would replace God's covenant with Israel. So over the next few days, Jesus was in and out of the temple teaching. Expectations are growing. Two days out, it's a miracle of sorts, not really, but a miracle of sorts happened for the Pharisees because one of Jesus' followers broke rank. And it tells us in Luke 22, starting in verse 4, and Judas, Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. Judas initiated this. He went to them. This was his plan. And it's funny because it says, and they were delighted. You know what they really were? Afraid. They feared that Jesus might take away from them they didn't want him to take anything away from them, and they knew what was coming. And if he became king, they would lose their authority. Maybe you're afraid, too, of what he might take away from you if you make him king. But he had not come to take. He had come to give. It said they were delighted and agreed to give him money, to give Judas money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. See, the kingdoms of this world were going to attempt to block the kingdom of God. 
And although kind of their plan would succeed, their objective would not be met. Unlike them, Jesus didn't cling to life. His intention all along was to give it away. But first, there were some loose ends he needed to tie up. The Passover meal was the perfect opportunity. In Matthew 26, 26, it says this, While they were eating, so he's with his disciples, he's eating this Passover meal. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Luke, when Luke's version of this adds the phrase that Jesus said, um, um, after this is my body, he says, given for you, in Luke 22. This is my body, given for you. And they're like, wait, what? Your body? That wasn't the most offensive part. He said, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of, and I can see them. They're like, we know, we know. We know the answer to this. In remembrance of God delivering our ancestors from Egypt. But Jesus continues, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They kind of should have just left right then. You know, Jesus contradicting Moses, that's one thing. Replacing Passover that they've done for 1,500 years with the remembrance of himself, that's quite another thing. We, we just read over that because we don't understand how that impacted them. Let me just give you an illustration. It's a very, it doesn't even come close to what they were feeling, but it's similar. Christmas. I love Christmas time. I can wait for it. It can stay summer for a little while. But I love Christmas time. This would be like me comparing my birthday to Christmas and standing up and declaring that instead of celebrating Christmas on December 25th, we're going to celebrate my birthday and me instead. And you're like, yeah, I don't think so. That's not even a fraction of what they were thinking because they had done this for so long. So back to the story. After Jesus said this, they ate their meal, probably confused, maybe a little nervous about the implications of Jesus' statement, but he wasn't finished. Verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, see, like Jesus did with the bread, now he's going to do with the cup. It said in the same way after, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is, and again, the disciples are like, hang on, we know this one. We know this one. It's a reminder of the lamb's blood that spared our ancestors' lives. They sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood on a doorpost so that their, their ancestors were sacrificed. They got out that night. They escaped Egypt. And I know in their heads they're thinking, let's just stick with this 1,500-year-old script. It's worked for this long. It'll continue to work. And Jesus says, this cup is the new new covenant. This very cup that it always represented the original covenant between God and Israel is now going to be a new one, something new. The Old Testament mentions a number of times a new covenant. It kind of comes to a head, and the prophet Jeremiah highlighted it 650 years before this date that Jesus said this. In Jeremiah 31, um, 31 to 33, it says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So there's going to be a replacement covenant. 
you know, how would it be different? God says in verse 33, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. What he's saying hundreds of years before Jesus said this was a covenant of conscience had been prophesied. It had been promised and it was about to be fulfilled. Back to Passover. Luke 22, he says, this cup is the new covenant. See, this new covenant this one promise long ago would establish a new kind of relationship between God and mankind. It would replace God's covenant with a nation. And they're thinking, would it be like the old one? You know, have the same conditions, the same laws, the same punishments. Would it be like the one with Father Abraham, which was a little bit different? You know, that was an unconditional covenant. I want you to bear with me for just a moment. We're going to go back in history and I just want to very, very briefly share, share with you what was in their heads because back then there was three types of covenants during this ancient kind of landscape. We're looking at this through 21st century eyes. They weren't. They were looking at it. Um, there was three types of covenants. So just hang with me. This will be quick. The first one, you don't have to take notes. There'll be no test on this. Don't worry. The first one is it's a bilateral contract. It's between two sides. It's technically called a parity um, treaty. This was a treaty or a covenant between equals. And what it said is, I will if you will. And if you don't, I won't. It was conditional. We see that all the time in our culture. It's a business contract. If I do this, you'll do this. If you don't do that, I ain't doing this. That's the kind of contract that first one was, bilateral parity treaty. The second one is a bilateral, a big word, you don't have to remember this, suzerainty treaty. It's just a big word for saying this was between non-equals and the king or the despot or the leader at that time was known as the suzerain. And so that's why suzerainty treaty, it means the king was going to dictate the terms and conditions to a lesser power you know, to the vassal, to the common person um, who really didn't have much choice in the matter. They made, they made the deal. You know, think of something like curfew, you know. They say, this is what's going to happen, and you have to abide by it. This type of covenant was actually God's covenant with Israel. God dictated the terms and the conditions and spelled them out in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and literally said, you know, if you disobey, the nation pays. It's like God said, you, you, you're bad on this one. I'm going to put you in a timeout. And he did. You know, for example, he allowed them to be taken captive by Babylon. So that's the second kind of treaty. The third type of treaty or covenant is sometimes referred to as a promissory covenant. Okay? One party binds itself to an obligation for the benefit of the other party. And this covenant is not bilateral. It's not unilateral. It's unconditional. Here's a really silly example of this. I know none of you ever had any of this, but maybe. A middle school crush. You, you remember those. You promised unwavering love no matter what. No matter what you do, I will love you always. Fortunately, the middle school crush was never ratified by the cutting of the neighbor's cat into two equal parts, like the promissory covenant was in ancient times. Because the root of the Hebrew term for covenant is literally to cut. That's what it means. You see, we sign contracts. That's what we do. In the old days, people cut covenants. 
That's actually where we get the phrase, cut a deal. That's where that came from. So in a normal covenant, they would literally, and it's gross, I know, they would literally slice an animal into two equal parts. And a representative of each of the parties would walk between the two halves of the carcass. What they were saying by doing this was, may it be done to me like with this unfortunate animal if I violate the terms of this covenant. But in a promissory covenant, since only one party is promising, only one party walks between the halves. It's all on them. This was God's covenant. This was His covenant, His promise with Abraham. You can go back and read about it in Genesis 15. That's what God did. God would make him into a nation that would bless the entire world, and it really didn't have anything to do with Abraham. It had to do with what God was going to do. God's covenant was unconditional. It was a promissory covenant. So with that in, in mind, on the back burner, back to our Passover stop. So there they are. Jesus is saying, this cup is the new covenant. And what came next answered the question about what kind of covenant it would be of the ones we discussed. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. What Jesus is saying when he said that is, I'll play the role of the lamb that is slain to formalize and to validate the covenant. So what is your part going to be? He says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. See, what Jesus is saying is, you're on the receiving end. It's for you. It's on me. Matthew's account included these words, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And, and we have to place ourselves back into the disciples' minds. They're saying, wait. You are establishing the new covenant promised by God? You're representing God's interest in this covenant? You're saying, now we're going to do this, what he's going to do with them, in remembrance of you and your blood will be for the forgiveness of sins? Because in their mind, that's a temple question. That's where that happened. The disciples, like all good Jews of that day, knew that forgiveness of sin required death and blood, sacrifices. It had happened for centuries that way, over and over and over and over as they made the sacrifices for the sins. And if he, even if Jesus was serious, you know, he could only die once. But they should have seen it coming because three years earlier, you remember, we've looked at this, John the Baptist had announced this ending of all of that system at the, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in John 1.29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as the disciples sat there and they went through that, they saw the blood, they saw the, or they, they saw the bread, they saw the cup, they saw what Jesus said was going to be that symbolizing for, and the next day this new covenant and his blood for the forgiveness of sin would be officially ratified with a Roman hammer and nails and Roman steel. The empire that best represented the kingdoms of this world was victorious for a moment. But God was up to something bigger. A new covenant 
a new arrangement between God and his entire image-bearing rebel race. That would be established for every nation, not just the Jewish nation, for every generation. This agreement was the big one. This was the final one. This was the everlasting one, the one that would fulfill God's promise to Abraham. It would replace God's covenant with Israel. This was the unconditional one, an unconditional covenant, a promissory covenant. It was a better covenant. It wasn't national. It was personal. It wasn't external. It was internal. Not, not physical, but spiritual. It wasn't just for insiders, but for outsiders. And it wasn't temporary. It was eternal. It wasn't the, you know, I will if you will, but um, uh, what Jesus was saying was, I will, even if you don't. It wasn't do. It was done. This covenant was unilateral. It was one-sided. It provided unlimited coverage. What were the terms and conditions? Were there terms and conditions? Well, yeah, there's terms and conditions, but not like the old covenant. In fact, if we were to ask John, not John the Baptist, but like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that guy, um, John, who was there that night? John, who watched Jesus die? John, who put his arm around Jesus' mother at the cross and said, yes, I will take care of her. John, who peered into an empty tomb after the resurrection. John, who had breakfast with Jesus on the beach. John, who gave his life so many would know that God had done something for the world. If we were to ask him, how do I get in on that type of covenant? You know what he would say? He would say this, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what he would say. We talked about that weeks ago. That's, that's echoed down through the centuries, through these last couple millennia. That's all there is. In fact, for Peter, I think for Peter, it's even simpler than that. He would take us back to, to day one when Jesus smiled at him and said, follow me, follow me. Jesus is saying, I know all about you. I, you say, you don't know what's happened. Yeah, I know, Jesus says. I know what's happened. I know what you've done. I know what's been done to you. I know all about you. That is all covered under my unlimited unconditional, on me, for you, covenant. So come, follow me. That night, Jesus made it clear that he'd come to replace all that was in place. But there was still a loose end to tie up. So don't miss next week. For today, I kind of want to wrap things up today doing two things. The first is an invitation. The second is going to, we're going to be share, we're going to share in that um, observance that Jesus initiated. But the invitation that I'm giving you is the same invitation. You know, how do I get in on that type of covenant? Believe. Believe and receive. Follow me. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. Just follow me. Now, there are some of you, you're, you're here in person, you're online 
And you know that, you know, well, I'm not that religious, or I've done too many bad things, or this or that. You know, it's not about that. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus. It's about following Him. And Jesus is saying, I know what you've done. I know what your past is. I took care of all that on the cross. And His invitation is the same invitation. It's just, follow me. Come follow me is what he's saying. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, today is your day. It will change your life and your eternity. Will it make it easier? No. Ask anybody in here who's chosen to follow Jesus. It doesn't make it easier. It makes it better. It makes your life abundant. It makes your life full. It's not the easy road. Nobody following Jesus back then thought it was the easy road. But Jesus said, but I will be with you every step of the way. And it will be worth it now, and it will be worth it, worth it all through eternity. So if you've never done that, in simple faith, all you do is say to Jesus from your heart, because it's a heart thing. You say to Jesus from your heart, I'm a sinner. I know that. I don't deserve any of this, but I want in on that kind of covenant. I want in on that unconditional love, that kind of unconditional promise. And so I'm trusting that what you did on the cross for me, Jesus, paid for my sin. And by believing that and receiving you as my Savior, I believe you're coming into my life, you're coming into my heart, and you're going to change me from the inside out. That begins a work in you that will last until the day you stand before him as he changes us from the inside out. If you make that commitment to Jesus today, please share that with us, you know, email, text, phone call. You can even do this really weird thing where you come up and, and talk to somebody and say, I did that today. Because we want to rejoice with you. We're all in this together. It, we're better together. It takes all of us. So that's the first thing we're going to do. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to close this service by doing what Jesus instituted in what we talked about today, way back then. He, he instituted what we call communion, what we call the Lord's table. It was just a very simple thing. It was part of what they were doing, but um, it, it changed everything forever. So I'm going to have, if you're in person here, they're going to start passing this out, and here's what we're going to do. It looks like this. It's, it's got juice and a, and a wafer on the top. Don't, I know it's tempting. Don't do anything with it yet. If you're with us online and you want to participate with us, either run down here really quick or grab something in the house, okay? Just grab something that you can share, you know, as, as the bread and the juice. Um, but, um, so just hang on to it. Don't do anything yet. Um, but here's where we're at. If you want to let it pass as it goes by, for any reason, just let it pass. You know, there's no judgment zone here. At Journey in Our Church, we believe that communion, the Lord's table, is for believers only but it's for all believers. It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you better before God. Jesus already took care of that with the new covenant. He already did it all. We do this to remember what Jesus did for us, how he was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He did it all. We just believe and receive. When he says, come follow me, we say, yes. So if for any reason you don't want to take it, just let it pass. Um, um, and here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to read, um, I'm actually going to read what Paul said about it. Um, the Gospels talk about it, but Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, the little story that we're in right now, our, our, our current um, stop on this road trip, in a very short time, they're going to go out into the garden and Jesus is going to be arrested. And he's reminding us that on the very night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. So here's what you're going to do. If you have one of these, don't peel the whole thing off. The, the top clear part, you can kind of find that top clear part. You just peel that back and then this wafer. I'm just going to call it a wafer or styrofoam, one of the two. Um, Jesus took bread. It wasn't about the kind of bread he took. It wasn't about, you know, what flavor it was. It wasn't about that. It was, it was about what it symbolized. And so we've done this with the church, the big C church, for the last 2,000 years. He took that bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's share together. In the same way, it says in verse 25, after supper, he took the cup. So now you, you peel the foil thing back very carefully. You don't have to take it all the way off. You peel the thing back. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This was brand new. He was changing all of that history. He was fulfilling one thing. He was, he was replacing another. He was saying, this is all new. This is the new covenant, and it's in my blood. They didn't understand fully when they did it that first night, like we do now. It wasn't very long after that they got it, that they realized it was his body that was put on a cross for them, his blood that was spilled to pay for their sin. They got that. And he said, this, is the, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So like them, let's share together in remembrance of Jesus. You may not know it, but if you participated with us right then, you just preached the second sermon today. Because the next verse says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That word means you preach it. You make it so that other people can see it and hear it. You're saying it's because of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood that we can enter into a relationship with him, we can, we can participate in that incredible new covenant. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads as we close in prayer. Father, I know that there are people today, uh, whether they're here in person, whether they're online, whether they're watching this at a, at a later time, um, they're hearing that voice. They're hearing your voice saying, you're hearing this because you need to have this relationship with me, this new covenant, this, this unconditional, unlimited thing is for you. And Jesus took care of it. He paid it all. It's done. All you have to do is believe and receive. So if today Jesus is saying to you, come follow me, all you have to do is say yes. I'm going to follow Jesus today I'm going to let him be my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to learn what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for this um, very simple and yet very vivid reminder 
of the fact that we're not the ones who, who do any of the saving, that you did it all. With, with Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, we can have that relationship with you. You said you would never leave us or forsake us. So during the difficult times that we go through, we know that um, as, a, as a nation, as a world, we have been going through some pretty difficult times. As a nation, many things in the last 14 months. But we know that you promised to be with us. We thank you for that, and we ask that um, with the, the freedom that we still enjoy in this country, that we would be able to share together, we would be able to be on this journey together, and that we would able, be able to help others find that hope and that freedom that comes only in Jesus. We thank you, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song.
that amazing grace is unlimited and unconditional. It's, it's on Him for us. If you've never said yes to Him before, today is your day. If you have, but maybe you've wandered a little bit and you're not following quite the way you used to, today's the day to hear Him saying to you, just come follow me. One step at a time, I'll be with you. No matter how easy or hard the road may be ahead of you, He will be there with you. So, next week and the week after, two week, two more weeks, we're going to be here in person, two services, 9 or 10.30, um, or online. The following, the last week in August, Lord willing, weather permitting, all that, that we will be down at the church property um, for another outdoor service. But for the next two weeks, we're going to be in here. Um, let's, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the freedom that we still enjoy to be able to meet in person, to be able to share your love in person with people. I pray that we would um, utilize the opportunities that we still have to their fullest advantage to share the hope that is in Jesus. We thank you that we are able to do this here in person. We thank you that we are able to do this online and, and extend the reach of your amazing grace and your amazing love and your new covenant that is unlimited and unconditional. We thank you for that. We love you, and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.